Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 187. Happy birthday, Mrs. Neves. Recorded April 5th, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP. Com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroll, and joining me this week is solely Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, Seth. Hello, Mark, and welcome, Dizzy, uh, welcome people who listen to the podcast. Sorry, I was going for a word and it stumbled. And Denizens? Then, you know, is that the word you were yes, looking for? Yes, that's the word that my <laughs> mouth refused to utter. And uh, so then I wrecked that. What else can they say? But welcome those of you who listen to the podcast. So the reason Chris is not with us this night is the, the, the titular uh, episode something of the show i couldn't come up with a word to follow titular because it's such a funny word um uh chris neves uh, chris's mother uh, is having a birthday today i think maybe tomorrow but it was a whole weekend celebration so he is out of town uh helping his mother celebrate her 29th birthday so uh i, I doubt that's right but that's what we're gonna go with <laughs> so he's been gone all weekend doing family stuff. It's also Easter weekend. So happy Easter. Um, those of you who celebrate uh, the rising of our Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, we, we uh, Christ is risen indeed. Uh, for the rest of you, enjoy your chocolate bunnies. You know that I, I don't know how many people out there listen to Veggie Tales, but when you said chocolate bunnies, I immediately Started thought of the song. Oh, I the love bunny, the bunnies. The bunny. Yeah. So I don't want them to do a takedown on us. So I won't <laughs> do any more of the song than that. Well, as badly but, uh, as we sing, uh, Google's automated systems would never recognize that as their song. Yeah. Well, probably you are probably correct, sir. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, there's all kinds of people on YouTube who sing other people's songs and those don't get taken down. I think it's right. it's just if it's the actual recording. Uh, ah. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to uh, say uh, uh, follow up on some discussions we've had recently about about the the EDL Dream app that uh, Kaiser has been working on uh, with us. We I've put a new forum, a new section of the the forums on elementopi.com just to talk about the app. So there's a general discussion section, a bug uh, report function, and a um, feature request uh, forum, and so go check that out. the uh, The app is really coming along nicely. In fact, um, Kaiser told me he is uh, looking to rebrand it as uh, Zcast, and it will be you'll be able to add your own feeds, other feeds other than our own. So right now, it's the EDL app because ours is the only feed in it. Um, and it's still very much in beta, but it's getting better every day. So I encourage you to check it out. Uh, you can just go to. Uh, um, Actually, any any of the most recent shows has a, a link straight to it or in that form. Uh, I keep the latest version there on my website that you can just click it. And the easiest way to do it is just go go to our website on your Android phone or tablet and tap that link, download it, and install it. You have to make sure you can sideload things, uh, meaning things not in the store. But uh, check it out. And there's only you know a handful of people using it. And I'd love to see more people using it uh, f- to have discussion going on there and also just to be able to, to squash those bugs. So please check it out. I'm really excited about it. Uh, it's really coming a long way. And pretty much any time somebody reports a bug, uh, it, the Kaiser immediately, uh, within within a couple of days at the most, says, here's a quick fix for it. Um, and there's still some things that are pretty ugly, but uh, that, that's why it's beta. We're, we're working out those ugly things to make it beautiful. 
But I'm excited about uh, about what it will be in the days to come, and I need your help. So go to elementop.com, uh, click on any of the recent show notes. There's a link for the EDL app, and try it out and make comments in the shows. Uh, you can download shows or you can stream them. Um, you can make comments. You can make replies. Uh, so anyway, check it out, the EDL app, and also the forum for discussion about it. Seth, what is iZombie? It is a show that started, I guess, about three weeks ago on the WB network, that juggernaut of over-the-air programming that it is. And um, I just saw the previews, and I thought it was it had it looked interesting. And so far, I am enjoying it. This uh, this doctor chick goes to a party and gets scratched, and she becomes a zombie. And this is all kind of like the you know before the. You're not really learning any plot details. And so she ends up working in the medical examiner's office so she can eat brains. But a byproduct of the thing is if she eats somebody's brain, she gets visions. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, she, the, um, so she's like a psychic for the detective and she uses those visions of the dead person to help the detective solve the crime. And anyway, it's just kind so like of memories, uh, like the last thing the dead person saw. Not necessarily the last thing, but like if she gets in a similar situation to where the deceased person was or something they did, then like, you know, a memory will flash. So not necessarily the last thing, but, you know, for the show, it turns out to be kind of some of the last things. But it's it's an interesting take on the zombie premise. Um, witty dialogue, some tongue in cheek type type humor. Um, but uh you know, it's it's not really blood and gore like The Walking Dead. Somebody described it as uh, if Veronica Mars became a zombie. So I never really watched Veronica Mars, but if you liked that type of show, then you might like iZombie. It's kind of a cool. It's it, I'm enjoying watching it now, and I'm going to stick with it at least a couple more weeks. All right, uh, I'm I'm always down for recommendations about geek stuff. Uh, not anything. I, I think I remember seeing a commercial for it. Uh, but that's about all I know. Yeah, I saw one, and then uh, I missed like the first week, but they replay it on Saturday, and then I missed the next week because I worked late and didn't get home in time. But then one of the TNT or TBS or one of those stations did like uh, a marathon of all two episodes that had played <laughs> so far, so I was able to catch up, and I, I watched it on the premiere episode this last week. So. So uh, back to the Easter thing, I just wanted to say, uh, it also ties in somewhat with your zombie thing. I believe that there is a special place in hell for the man who invented glitter. You, sir, are evil in every way. Uh, my my daughters walking through probably Walmart um, had to have these glitter-covered Easter eggs, you know, the plastic eggs that you put candy in. Uh, right. So they bought two eight-packs of those, 16 of them, and... Of course, they're glittery, but glitter doesn't stick to anything except human flesh. Uh, it doesn't matter what you try to put it on. It doesn't stay there. So between filling those and then putting them in the baskets and then hiding them today and then the kids picking them up, there is glitter oozing from the pores of my body. I can't get rid of it. I have I have watched. I have showered. It's just not there. It, it literally is craft herpes. It's easy to get, and you can never get rid of it. Glitter is the herpes of the craft world. I will be living the rest of my life with glitter. And and there's just nothing I can do about it. It's it I can't get rid of it. There's no treatment. You can you can maybe, you know, uh stem some of the breakouts. 
but 50 years from now, I'll have a, a new breakout of glitter from these stupid eggs. I hate you. Yes. There was, um, I used to go to this church and I don't know how, but glitter got on this one seat and it might've been like a wedding reception or something like that. But five or six years later, I knew which seat was mine because I just walked to where the glitter was and sat by it. It, it never would go out. And so I mean, the people whole have to put time- personals ads for glitter positive partners because you know, you, you can't spread that stuff around. Oh, I saw this woman. She was hot and everything, but then she had glitter in her hair still. I thought, you know, who wants that? Yeah. So, yeah. Glitter is evil, and the man who invented it is evil-er. Yeah, that totally ties in with zombies and Easter. So. <laughs> it does. Yeah, zombies plus equal Easter equals glitter. Um, okay. So, Seth, you bought a new wallet and had something to do with us? Yes. Um, you know... I don't really use my PayPal as like for real life type stuff. And, you know, we get paid, um, our money comes in PayPal through our sponsor. And so I call that my fun money and I just do stuff with it. And so my wallet had just, well, I've had it for like 17 years. It's, I've had it an awful long time and uh, it was falling apart, you know, everything. And I was just like, I had bought one one time, but it wouldn't fit. I couldn't put cards in it. So I got this pretty, it's a Kevlar wallet. Ah, if you're watching the YouTubes, you can see. And so uh, somebody could shoot room. you in the butt, and you could walk away from it. Yeah, it has room for all of my stuff, and it's a trifle wallet like I like. So thank you, EDL podcast listeners, because of you, I I wouldn't have spent twenty something dollars plus shipping for this. Um, you know, but I bought it with my fun money. So thank you, EDL. I now have a wallet that my friends will quit ragging me about. So. I stepped away from the trifold wallet a while back and and went with the the long um single fold bill wallet type ah thing. yes um and this is leather I paid a fair amount of money for this fifty or so dollars uh it's leather it's gonna last me until I have great grandchildren um the only problem is it sticks out of my pocket just a little bit uh, the pants that I buy never have a deep enough back pocket but i I like it i just you you don't a trifold wallet you're always sitting on a lump and so when i had a trifold wallet as soon as i got in my car before i got in my car i'd pull my wallet out and set it in the the ashtray beside me because it's uncomfortable sitting there and sitting all day on the lump is never good so these this is a a much thinner you can see it's contoured to my backside it's a much thinner profile and uh so i recommend you stepping into it's it's really supposed to be a vest pocket wallet or jacket pocket but uh you might want to try that someday when the Kevlar runs out uh, in you know seventy or eighty years wears out. Well, see, I'm a front I'm a front pocket wallet person. Okay, so the the sitting thing it just it, that doesn't really affect. So um, I just I put it in the front pocket um, because even whenever I wore it, I had a wallet like in high school. And of course, you know when you're in high school, you might have a dollar or two to put in there. Right, and it was, it was camo with a Velcro closure. Um, actually, no, it wasn't camo. Uh, it was like, if I remember correctly, it was maroon with gray trim and a Velcro closure, but it, it just, it felt weird to sit on a wallet with nothing in it. So I started putting it in my front pants pocket and that's where it stays. You never know where the discussion is going to go on this show, folks. You just never know from, from zombies to glitter to wallets only on the everyday Linux podcast. 
Uh, so let's move on to some listener feedback. Timothy says, I misrepresented Mint. Says, I'd like to correct a statement made about Linux Mint. There are links to both a standard Mint download as well as a version without any codecs installed. From my understanding on their documentation, they provide you with a choice, and it's up to you to do the right thing. I enjoy listening to the show. Keep up the good work. You can also pass on to your listeners that what is called desktop Linux these days is completely viable for a small business, as my drafting business runs entirely on Linux machines. So I did comment that um, the base Linux package has some stuff in it that's not entirely legal to download in the U.S. So Timothy says there are alternate options out there, and it's up to you to do the right thing, meaning that nobody's going to do that. Yeah, but it's not their fault. Sure. It never is their fault, because what they do is legal in their country. Um, Right. But uh, I forget... I forget where they're based. It's only we Americans who are breaking, not even the law. I don't even want to say that. We're, we're, we're failing to comply with license agreements, with, with user end-user license agreements uh, when we download Mint. So it's not like the, that we're criminals. And, and what also happens is the first time there's an update to Flash or a codec or whatever, you have now downloaded from the site and you're no longer out of compliance. So it's not really, I don't think it's a big deal. In fact, I do it myself. But, you know, if, you, if you're one of those white line towers and you want to be right in, in the uh, always right all the time, download the, the, the one without the infringement stuff and then go download the stuff. So there you go. And the next one I'm going to say is from Kalean, K-E-L-E-A-N. I don't know exactly how to pronounce that, but I'm going with Kalean. He likes Corora says, hi, guys, I'm writing in at Chris's request. He wanted, wanted a Corora user to let him know what he thought of it. Well, I've been using Corora 21 GNOME version used for Dora before that. I like Corora very much. It runs very well on my desktop. And as I stated, I am using the GNOME, but I did give Cinnamon a try, but prefer GNOME on my desktop box. Corora, wow, this is hard. Corora and GNOME, and these words are hard to say, people. Corora has GNOME set up the way I set it up. The only thing I added was Google Chrome. The sidebar in, is uh, is an extension called Dash to Dock. The only problem I've had was the first time I tried to use the Software Center, it failed, so I had to use Yumex. After a second round of updates, the Software Center works fine. Excuse me. After the first round of updates, Software Center works fine. I highly recommend Corora. I love the show, and everyday politics could be very interesting. Thanks, Killian. So, uh, you know, uh, Chris was very positive on Corora, and he asked what our audience thought. Where there was at least one vote for Corora. And yeah. Uh, go, go ahead. No, I was going to say, cool. I uh, I don't have much to say. <laughs> but you had you felt the need to say it anyway. Well, uh, you know, it was one of those, I was going to say something, or I had a half thought in my brain, and so I took it on faith that it would be there when I opened my mouth, <laughs> it didn't and it out. wasn't. So, yeah. Sorry, everybody. Uh, all right. And the last uh, bit of listener e- uh, feedback. Wow. Just had a little mini stroke right there in front of you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, says I, uh, Dan says, thanks for the wake-up call. I came across the news item listed below, and so Dan will lead into our first news item of the show, um, and immediately thought back to Everyday Linux and how you guys often encourage listeners to contribute in some fashion to open-source projects that are important to them, and how you make a point of putting your, as well as your podcast, money where your mouth is. Thank you for leading by example and for the reminders. 
And uh, the uh, article that he linked to is a Tech Republic article talking about a um, an open source project that got sucked up by a commercial entity. And they, uh, Apple, actually, Apple uh, uh, acquired Foundation DB and is, by all appearances, rapidly closed sourcing it, sucking out all the open source bits. Basically, they wanted the, the guys, the experts, and not the software. But Foundation DB is going away, and the people will now work for open source. And um, I guess Dan's thought is that if we had all been giving them money appropriately, uh, they wouldn't have sold out to Apple. Well, and uh, kind of if you read the story, they were looking at they want to use it themselves um, as opposed to any of the other NoSQL things out there. And uh, and so they thought the best way to use it is just to own it and then not share. So, you know, I don't know. It's just, uh, but it's, you know, it's one of those things. People who do these open source projects, they do them out of love, you know, or they have an idea or sometimes they do them whenever they're unemployed. And so they develop something. Uh, there's this game I love called Axis and Allies. And this guy wrote a Java based version of it. And he went into a job interview and he said, look at what I wrote last week. And they were like, wow, you did all that by yourself. We'll hire you. And so, um, you know, if these people can't make money with open source, they're going to go somewhere where they can make money or they're going to sell out their projects because people got to eat. Um, you know, people love to eat. It's a nice thing. And so if we're not going to support them, they're going to go where they can get supported. And then uh, that just means we have fewer open source choices to choose from. Yeah, being a developer on an open source project does not obviate your need for rent and groceries and college education for your children and clothing. Just because you uh, belong to or to contribute to an open source product or th- are the lead developer of, a, of an open source product doesn't mean you don't need money anymore. So if the community isn't going to give you money, you either have to have two full-time jobs, the open source project and something that pays the bills, or you have to devote your time to the open, the thing that pays the bills and the open source project becomes increasingly a less full-time, more part-time, and eventually an abandonware job, or you sell out. Um, and frankly, I'm totally fine with as long as they're as long as they abide by the the license that they initially licensed Foundation DB through more power to them. They, they now are employed by Apple and making lots of money and they're still making their product. Um, I, I don't see the downside here for them. They did what was right for them. And apparently Apple thinks it was right for Apple. Uh, the open source community may have lost out, um, in that the code is not going to be updated anymore. If you've still, if you've got it now, you could always fork it and move on. But if there were enough people interested to fork it, then they might not have needed to sell to Apple. So this is simply a case of if you use something, you need something, you like something, pay for it, even if it is free. Yeah, Def- I we you know, and like I say, we've had this conversation on air several times, and one of the first times we had it, we realized, hey, if we're going to talk about this, maybe we should actually do it. So um, we did it, and so it's spreading. We are uh, we are going in there. Thank you, Dan. Uh, yay, plus one. And so in in light of that, on the heels of that, I will say that for February, we donated in your name to the free 
software foundation. Uh, we're a couple of months behind. It's just the way it goes uh, because we won't get all of our income for March for another week or so into April, like toward the end of April. All the, all the tickers will settle down and we'll get the Amazon money and we'll get the the uh, Patreon money and all that sort of stuff. So I wait till all that settles down and then I pay, uh, make a donation. So we're just now up to February 2015. But this month, you supported by your contributions to this show, uh, the Free Software Foundation, which we know is doing all sorts of great things and a few not so great things, but we choose to support the great stuff. So... You supported the Free Software Foundation. That doesn't mean that you're covered. <laughs> that just means that I took a portion of what you gave to me and gave it back to a project that's important. Um, you can you could choose to funnel all of your financial giving through me. That would be awesome. I take 10%. So if you want to give me 10 times what you want the Free Software Foundation to have and direct me to donate a tenth of it there, I really love that plan. Uh, but if you choose not to do that and you want to be more efficient with your giving, you should give directly to a project that you find uh, useful in a daily basis. Firefox, Linux, um, uh, MySQL, or, or not MySQL, yeah, MySQL. Uh, what else? There's tons of stuff. Audacity, whatever you use. Chrome, donate. Yeah, and, you know, I like the way we're doing it. Um, you know, we're just, we're not we you know i'm sure as we do this more we'll probably go back and there'll be some projects we hit on a regular basis but for the most part it's you know we're giving to this one and we're giving to this one and we're giving to this one and and i kind of like that because there's so much that we use it's really hard to just have your one gift go everywhere um you know if you're interested in just giving to one thing the um crap what is the name of that group that the linux foundation started the something 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 were they the open source the do you know what i'm talking about yeah, i know Mark? what you're talking about i just can't come up with the name of it. it's is it um, cli is the, that it if only there was a repository of information that we could quickly access to find yes. these things uh if only. it was the um um it was infrastructure they were they were going to to put money into the things that are the backbone of the internet like dns and uh, things of that nature, uh, SSH and, and things that we all use that nobody's core infrastructure initiative. There you go. Core yeah. infrastructure. Yes. The CII. So if you want to just give to one thing and have that one thing shotgun out, something like the core infrastructure initiative, um, started by the Linux foundation. Of course, they partners from tons of tech giants, tech giants are a part of that. So sorry. I just. That's all right. That's what vamping is for. I I covered for you. Uh, So moving on to our next bit of news for the week, uh, DuckDuckGo is now DuckDuckGrow. Yes. um, And for those of you who don't know what DuckDuckGo is, it is the anonymous search engine. They don't store your search habits or what you searched for. They just, they let you search in anonymity. And so, you know, consequently, you don't have the robust services that have grown up around it, such as Google has, but it's a way for you to just 
um, search and then not have that come back to haunt you, you know? So if you want to do a one-off search for, you know, what's the most absorbent tampon out there, you're not all of a sudden going to see ads everywhere for feminine products. So I don't know why you'd want to search for the most absorbent tampon, but that was the only example I could think of. But yes, they, um, their growth has, um, they've more than doubled in the last year. And it's like, um, it has shot up like three times in just the space of, uh, just a couple of years. So, you know, they aren't equal to Google in size, but they are growing. There seems to be a market out there for people who, you know, you know, and look, not everybody uses DuckDuckGo. They're not searching for chemical weapons recipes. They just want to just be left alone. And it's nobody's business that they are searching for the best fondue pot out there. Or, <laughs> you know, who makes the best hash browns? Is it McDonald's or Wendy's? Um, uh, or anything like that. They just, I want to search for what I want to search for. And I don't want everybody trying to monetize every little thing I do and package it up for ad revenue. So, if, and they're not if cheating. Guy, they're not cheating when they do this. Uh, so you still see ads from Google using DuckDuckGo. You just don't see personalized ads. So right. they're anonymizing your searches. So it's, I think you're really. From the standpoint of an advertiser, you're actually ensuring that you get less relevant ads. You're making sure that you get a poorer product when you use DuckDuckGo. I understand if you're a tinfoil hat guy, uh, that's exactly what you want. Again, nobody should know that I'm searching for whatever. And and frankly, I do that sometimes. When I'm searching for something, especially now that I'm so tied in with Google now, my my searches on on my um google toolbars in chrome and in firefox and on my phone all now tie into google now so if i just have a wild hair and search for uh you know famous porn stars of the 70s just because i'm having a conversation and that comes up now suddenly i'm starting to get ads for things or google now updates hey there's a porn convention in downtown Atlanta. Uh-huh. I, i'm making this up this never happened but these are the sort of things that will happen right. so i do yes uh i do fire up a uh uh, a incognito browser when i need to do stuff like that when i want to do something that isn't going to pollute my google now experience um so th- i could use google duck, duck, go and do the same thing because they wouldn't know it was me uh so i'm not anti duck, duck, go but at the same time i think i think that you are doing your own self a disservice because you're going to see ads anyway but they're ads that are going to be less effective now less useful to you they're going to be even more annoying than they were before well you know but it's not just the ads it's the whole digital footprint of everything you've ever done and you can look at it this way this way the advertisers are able to market to a segment that they weren't able to market to before they can market to those people who just like just don't want to be tracked so maybe they get a lower return but it's a bigger return of nothing so you know, I don't know if it's like I say, ads are one part of it. And from that, if that were the only standpoint, you know, but like I say, I don't really want somebody to be able to look back and go, you know, 10 years ago, you looked for bomb making shelters and how to survive in the wood. You know, were you plotting something? Uh, and just like, no, yeah, leave me alone. I do <laughs> out of sheer curiosity search for some weird stuff sometimes yeah like you know i i have i have googled how to make an atomic bomb 
uh, just out of because I want to know how that works, right? The the supercritication of the the elements and 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 it's it's interesting. It's physics stuff to me, right? And this is this is knowledge that is common. It's out there. It's it's declassified. Any eighth grade. Um, science student can make an atomic bomb assuming he assuming in finds some plutonium that's the hard part but right. you know because i have done those searches just for my own curiosity it's entirely possible i'm on a watch list somewhere so i i recognize that there's two sides to this coin um no transition at all i talked myself into a dead end audacity 2.0 is released 2.1 2.1 excuse me Yes, so um, they released a new version. They've added some new filters and stuff. I plan to install it before next week's show so we can see. You know, I mean, we've talked about Audacity. We've supported them. Audacity is how we record our show. And so since we're using them, I figured we'd throw them some publicity and just say there's a new version out. And this um, is not just – this is a major revision. It's not – it the, it was at two point oh point six I think so we have just skipped we're no longer on the two point oh trail we're now at the two point one and there's some pretty major overhauls they've done so much so that I'm reluctant to to download it and use it not because I don't think it's going to be better but because I am I am so ingrained in in the way I do things I have the settings I know what they do like for example one of the things they've done is improve noise reduction well okay maybe it is improved but is it going to take me six months to figure out how to use it when i now i already know exactly what works for the way i use it uh so these are this is a major release but um it's these things also kind of make me scared sometimes when you make a big jump like that but yeah go audacity. No, I, yeah i i agree but you know um but anyway, there's a new version out there. So go out. It's nice to know that Audacity is still around and still improving and they aren't just, you know, they aren't another abandoned project littering, you know, GitHub or something like that. Sadly, uh, malware people aren't abandoning their projects, but Google is uh, on the move and cutting it in half. Yes. Um, Google kind of released their state of uh, Android security for the year and they found that, um, the amount of malware installations were cut in half, uh, from 13 to 14. And, uh, Google found that fewer than 1% of Android devices had a potentially harmful app installed and fewer than 0.15% of devices that only install from Google Play had a PHA installed. Now, of course, that's Google marketing spin. And so I'm sure there's a lot of uh, scumware that wouldn't qualify for that that is out there. But, you know, there's a difference from between something that serves up ads you don't like and something that alters the functionality of either apps or your the device yourself. So it, you know, security is getting better. There's still lots of areas out there, you know, don't just say, oh, well, Google secure now I can install whatever I want from wherever you still have to use your brain um but it's getting better and and they make a point to say use the store cuz they have they have python scripts I'm sure that that audit code and look for this sort of stuff 0.15% of the devices that don't sideload had malware so that's that says something. Uh, of course, there are times when you need to sideload. For example, the ETL app. We're not ready to put that in the store yet. We're still in beta mode. So you're going to have to sideload that. You have to trust me, and I'm trusting Kaiser because I haven't audited the code. I don't know. 
Um, but at some point, it's going to go to the store, and it will be vetted there. So whenever possible, get things through a store. It doesn't have to be the Google Play Store. It could be the Amazon Store or App Brain, or you know there are other stores where you can get apps. But uh, just randomly clicking things and installing them is never a good idea. And so you know when when you when they factored in things, it was only one percent anyway, right? But that was six times higher on devices that sideloaded. That's something to think about. Right. And, you know, one of the things you have to do in order to sideload is you have to root your device, if I'm not mistaken. So you have, when you do that, you weaken the security uh, inherent in your system. And now you, so you can you, sideload without rooting. Oh, you can sideload without rooting? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. My yeah. point is null and void. I would But also it. don't root unless you know what you're doing. <laughs> right. And on on any good app uh, that like well, there's only a, a couple really, but uh, the the major root rooting apps that I know of ask permission every time a new app asks for root. So it'll say, "Hey, this thing needs root. Are you okay with that?" And if you don't know why it's asking for root, if you didn't download something that says uh, "titanium backup dash root," uh, and you know what you're doing, say no. Always say no if you don't know. Yes. If only there were some repository of knowledge you could search and find out what was asking you and why. <laughs> but uh, despite Google's efforts, uh, malware is still a good business to be in. Yes. Um, there is this uh, Dryer Wolf malware has stolen over $1 million so far, and that's nothing, but it does it. It's not doing anything new. It gets installed on your system. When you go to a banking site, it throws up a page that says, uh, we're currently down. You need to call this phone number to complete the transaction. And it's a phone number probably outsourced to India or something where they get your information and then they're able to then turn and siphon money off of your account. So it's, yeah. so you have a guy on the phone that says, Oh, well, what's your username and password? And you tell them. This is the attack vector. Stupidity yeah. is the attack vector. Yes, and if you look up in the um if you look up in the um address bar, it doesn't say https colon slash slash www.chase.com. It's bit.ly slash a zulu seven charlie alpha. And then it's an under construction thing with the picture of Chase on it. So, you know, brains people you know, don't let the zombies eat them or, you know, at least feed a zombie because you've worked your brain out. You know, I don't know. It was I was going to tie back into iZombie and man, we're just both off tonight. Step one, don't be stupid. Step two, don't be stupid. <laughs> if somebody on the phone asks you for your password, hang up the phone. End of discussion. Nobody. If you're doing business with somebody and they legitimately legitimately ask you for your password, stop doing business with them. Nobody should ever ask you for your password over the phone. If they do, end the conversation. And if you're sure you're talking to their people, end the business relationship. Just don't yeah. do it. I uh I got a call one time from Discover Fraud Prevention. And they were like, uh, yes, we noticed this activity on your card. I need you to give your passcode. To, and I was like, you called me. You tell me who I am. I'm not telling you squat. And so I hung up the phone 
And then I called my, I called the 800 number off the back of my credit card. And sure enough, because I bought like an Xbox and uh, like an Xbox 360 and it was out of sight of my normal transaction pattern, they had temporarily suspended my account. And then I called customer service and verified it was them. And then they transferred me over to the fraud department. So, you know, in that kind of case, you have to prove to them. But if they call you, even and it was a legitimate call in this time. Don't give them, say, I'm going to call back the standard customer service number. And if you want to be super secure, you should wait about 10 seconds because there's this trick. If you hang up a phone and um, I know this is more for landlines and you pick it back up for a certain number of seconds, that uh, line will stay active. So you can hang up a phone, pick it back up and dial a number and still be talking to the original person. So. Um, that's an old scam. It again, because everybody uses cell phones now, it's not that big of a deal, but it is still out there. So, you know, in a situation like that, call the number, you know, and give them the passcode, not this person you don't know who called you. Yeah. And it's not uncommon for, to have a pin, right? They, right. you've, you've a set a pin for yourself and they'll ask you for that. That's, right. that doesn't frighten me or, well, yeah, like, that's what I meant. Pin. Yeah, so like for my um my web hosting, I've had to call them a couple of times uh, because I couldn't do what I needed to do online, and they'll ask me for the last three digits of my password. Well, it's like 12 digits. I'm okay with that. I will give them that. That's their confirmation. That doesn't bother me, uh, giving pieces of information. But if somebody says, uh, okay, what's your username? All right, now, could you do your password for me? Um, no. Bad idea. Walk away. Don't walk away. Run away. Um, yep. And once again, I've talked myself into a corner with no transition. So I think I'll just go ahead and transition into our good friends at the linuxacademy.com. Not for any particular reason, just because we're about halfway through the show. Linuxacademy.com is their stated goal is to take you from being a Linux novice to a Linux administrator using their step-by-step video courses. It's way more than just videos, though. They started with videos. That's still their main line. That's still their primary method of education. But they have so much more than that. They have PDF study guides. They have quizzes. They have uh, uh, pop... uh, uh, what else do they have? Read your notes, Mark. They have an online community. They have they have uh, their instructors directly listen to and respond to the uh, students who are enrolled in their course. It's it's just it's just way more than videos. But uh, as I've said many times, my favorite part is their lab. It, they really give you this robust, fast, uh, versatile platform. You can have uh, you can pick from eight of the most common Linux distributions to fire up a server on. You have four of them running at once, all communicating with each other, all in a safe environment. That if that if you blow something up, the NSA isn't going to call you. Um, and as you're walking through these videos, as you're reading through the notes, as you're taking your pop quizzes, you have this this lab experience here where you can do it. And, and maybe you don't have good technology at your house. Maybe you can't spin up a spare server. They've got you covered. They're in the Amazon cloud where it's super fast and always reliable. Uh, You don't have to have seven computers laying around. You don't have to have a bunch of virtual machines that you have to configure. They do it all for you uh, using their lab platform. Um, And so that's one of my favorite things. Another thing that I, I really love about it is their learning plans where you tell them when you're available and they customize the syllabus for you. This is the course that you want to take. Um, say, for example, Ruby on Linux. You want to take that course? You say, I'm going to take this course. I've only got two hours uh, a day, one day a week. 
and that's only on Thursdays. They will tell you, all right, this is the best way to spend your two hours a day. And on Thursday morning, they'll send you an email saying, hey, it's Thursday. You're going to spend two hours doing this. You need to watch this video. You need to do this lab. You need to take this test. And then you won't hear from them again until next Thursday when it's when it's your time again. You tell them when you need to do it. They custom build a course syllabus for you. I don't know anywhere else you're going to get that. Linuxacademy.com, uh, $25 a month is their basic monthly package. But if you buy like anything else, like bananas or tires or Linux Academy, you buy more, you save money. So if you buy three months, it's only $65. If you buy annually, it's $215. So that's roughly $18 a month, just under $18 a month. So it's a $7 a month savings if you buy for a year. Don't buy for a year up front. You may not like it. Some people don't like it. That's okay. Try $25 for a month. Check it out. If you really, really hate it, I wouldn't surprise it wouldn't surprise me if Anthony would give you your money back if after a week you hated it. But if you do if you log in every day for a month and then say you hated it, don't expect to get your $25 back. You've used your month's worth. But cancel it and just walk away. So that's what we recommend. Start out with the $25 less the, than the cost of a couple of pizzas and check it out. It it's it's so little money to start yourself on a whole new career. LinuxAcademy.com. And if you go to LinuxAcademy.com slash EverydayLinux, you'll get a special pricing that's even less than what we've talked about here. So check them out. Yeah, I just, you know, guys, if you don't ever do anything but say you want to do it and you don't ever try, well, you're never going to get into it. And, you know, you might have this thing, oh, I, I want to do tech support. I want to be somebody who sits at the keyboard and does all this kind of stuff. And then you, you know, and you don't have a lot of times you go to college and a college degree is great. You can learn a lot there, but you sit in class for four years and you don't know how to do anything. You just have this piece of paper that says you've been through college within the first. Okay. The first lesson teaches you or shows you how to download a utility to command line into a server and you start doing it. So you do these lessons and then you go in and you're like, okay, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Then you're out $25 and you know that that's not your dream. And then, so then you can find out what your dream is and go on for $25. You've narrowed down the list of options, but if you do like it, you're not going to find this level for this price um, out there. All right. It's sticking with our security discussion, malware. Uh, apparently China quote unquote accidentally brought down github oops well yeah this is a thing where um you know because github was um i guess it turned out to be a different story but they were hosting some uh free speech kind of code out there and apparently the overseers of the great firewall of china um did not like that so they had they attempted to ddos github and um I didn't read the whole timeline, but for a while they were able to keep up with it, but it was just slowly. But, you know, here's the thing. There's so many cup, uh, companies out there that host their own private code on GitHub. And so all of a sudden people can't get to their code to update it or to download it or whatever else. And so it turned out to be, um, kind of a big deal. And then this one guy, he has this, uh, he's a pretty uber geek, white hat hacker type person. He uh ran through some of the code and some tools that he has. He was able to show pretty conclusively um 
that, hey, this originated from China. And so it was China that was DDoSing the, um, DDoSing GitHub. Yeah. And, and D- not just a server in China, but Chinese owned government run, um, firewall and hardware devices were actively DDoSing or the, the evidence points that way. Right. This wasn't just a server run spun up by a Chinese person or just on Chinese soil. This was the Chinese government equipment owned by them, software managed by them, was actively attacking GitHub. Right, and of course, DDoS stands for Distributed Denial of Service Attack. Just a quick primer on that. What happens is they get a bunch of computers attacking or sending basically garbage requests to a website to keep the legitimate request to that website from getting through, making it seem like that website is either offline or unresponsive. And websites are so robust and bandwidth is so plentiful that one computer, even if it's just, you know, tearing up a gig connection to the internet, it's really not going to be able to take a site down. But when you have a vast array of machines pointing at a specific thing, it doesn't matter how good it can only take so much bandwidth uh, before it kind of grinds to a halt. And in a story that may or may not be related to this, President Obama uh, signed an executive order giving the Treasury Department the ability to fight back against people who uh, engage in uh, against government entities who engage in cyber terrorism. Yes. So it's not just, oh, you attacked the government's website. You attacked sites uh, on American companies that significantly disrupted their operation. Like so, Yeah, something like GitHub. And this is one of those things that was announced on April the 1st, but it was not in April Fool's. And it's kind of, you know, of course, anybody who has listened to this show can read between the lines and go, I'm not really a, I'm not a fan of Democrats or President Obama, but I think this could be a good thing because as of now, not that I know of, and you know, maybe I'm just totally uninformed, but there seems to be no comprehensive strategy in place to protect American resources, including personal and corporate resources of American citizens and companies from cyber espionage, cyber attacks, cyber warfare. Um, there is no, there's nothing to address that at the national level. And so this, while this could be overreaching on the part of the White House, you need something to come from the White House to start a plan and start a framework and, and, and to get the framework in place. It was like he talked about how during the Cold War, there was uh, an engagement between the government and the people on what should be done. And so if we had spies trying to infiltrate Russia and they were found out, it's well, we knew that we were doing the quote unquote right thing from the American standpoint by going in there and looking for it. So it wasn't a big deal. It was kind of, well, that's the cost of being a nation. And they knew what they stood. They, the spies knew what they signed on for. Whereas for cybersecurity, you know, we hear the NSA is trying to infiltrate foreign governments all of a sudden. Oh my gosh, the evil government trying to steal our civil liberties. And maybe they did go too far. Maybe they didn't. I think they did. But the point is, the government's just kind of this little agency's doing what it wants to do. This agency's doing what it wants to do. And there is no policy. You just have these agencies acting independently, doing what they think is right. And 
it's not a good thing. We need some type of framework to gird our cyber existence. And this is still in the infancy stage, but essentially the the State Department or the Treasury Department now could do things like levying tariffs on Chinese goods, just off the top of my head. Uh, that's something that would be within their power to do. And so, you know, you, you want to trade with us, China, we're going to make it expensive unless you behave. Uh, right. So, I, you know, a couple of times now I've found myself in the uncomfortable position of agreeing of, with our president, and this seems to be one of them. So uh, I'm, I'm feeling a little creeped out, so I'm going to move on to the next story, uh, where Windows 8 market share is soaring in the wake of Windows 10 being made available. Yes. Um, you know, Windows 8 has been out for a couple of years now, and it has skyrocketed up to a total of, um, let me get these numbers right here, uh, just over 14% of total market. And so it's rapidly approaching the level of Windows XP, which still has just under 17%, and it's been discontinued for like, excuse me, like a year. So yes, way to go, Windows! You're uh, you're rocking the world there. So yeah, on this this uh, pie chart here, we have uh, Windows Seven uh, at fifty eight percent of the total computer market share. Windows XP at just under seventeen percent. Uh, Windows Eight at coming in up on eleven percent. Um, Linux didn't even make the list. It's in the utter other category at three point four percent. Right. OS. Uh, has two categories 10.10 is at four percent and 10.9 is at 1.6 percent so you combine those two and you're at four percent five percent of the market uh so it's a windows world according to uh netmarketshare.com yeah and again that that's on the desktop they are so they're just they're just looking at desktops not the overall internet or otherwise you know android and ios would be dominating things and windows would be in the other category so windows 8 was better than vista but just better just barely better windows 8 adoption has been terrible um so much so that they they're moving straight to windows 10 i i I don't know what the marketing reason for that is but uh, and they're just you know you get a free upgrade because windows 8 sucks so much Here's a free upgrade, um, and the thing is, Windows eight isn't isn't bad. In fact, it, it's you know it's the same code base as Windows seven, which is really solid and stable. They just made some significant UI choices that were not well received, a la Ubuntu putting Unity on. I mean, anytime you try to change the user interface, uh, you run the risk of causing real problems. And so, Windows ten is going to be more like. Windows 7, which is more like Windows uh, Vista, which is more like Windows XP, right? You've got what companies are finding is you have to move people along gradually. You can't do these things quickly. But also Windows 8, the problem with it was it it couldn't decide what it wanted to be. Was it a mobile OS? Was it a desktop OS? Did you need a touchscreen or a mouse or, or, or both? And, you know, again, I, I always point out the fact that there were two versions of IE, one one was touchscreen centric and and used the the new not metro interface and one was on the desktop that's just ridiculous when you when you put out a piece of software that has a personality disorder like that you're just you're not going to succeed uh and surprise surprise they didn't succeed 
Yeah, I, you know, I find myself using the, the tiles in Windows 8 when I, when I'm using touch with, on my little tablet, you know, I'll, I'll flip over to the tiles to access certain content just because it's quicker than going to start programs. Because the first thing I did was I put classic start on there so I could use the desktop portion and have it actually work. So, um, but yeah, I, you know, it's one of those things. Eight was, Technically okay once you are, and that sounds worse than I meant it to say, but it, the, it was dressed, it was packaged very poorly, but when you used it, once you made a couple of minor tweaks, I thought it was very usable. A Chisholm Trail tech in the chat room suggests that maybe XP users are upgrading to Windows 8 so they can get a free Windows 10. Uh, that doesn't really follow to me. If you're going to pay for something anyway, why would you pay for the bad one to get the good one later? Um, well, maybe because XP is is so old and 10 is still down the line. I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting thought. But either way, Microsoft has proven that it's not just the Linux world that fails when they try to update UIs. People People don't like change, period. They just don't. Yeah, I think... Um you know, it's, um, well, I don't remember what I was going to say. Never mind. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, um, our last story of the week. That's right. The last story. We're going to do a short, uh, title this week. The Supreme Court of India struck down a law that curtailed freedom of speech. Interesting. Yes. Um, there was a law that, um, this law was challenged. It was, um, Section 66A of the Information Technology Act in India, and they ruled it was unconstitutional. And this law was challenged after a, um, by a law student after two women were arrested for posting critical comments following a politician's death. Basically, the law said, if you post something bad online, you can be arrested. Um, now, granted, India doesn't have freedom of speech in their constitution uh, anywhere close to the same degree that we uh, have it here in America. But I just thought, you know, wow, the Supreme Court in India is striking out for freedom of speech and saying this law was too much. It went way too far. They left. um you know, they left some portions of the law in place, so they didn't they didn't say everything was wrong with it. But um I just thought it was kind of cool that, you know, yay, free speech. And India is uh, a uh, they they tout themselves as the world's largest constitutional democracy. They are, um, as I've said, the U.S. is not a democracy. We are a republic. They call themselves uh, a a democratic uh, constitutional democracy. Um, and like, like I said, I don't know what the rules, I don't know what the laws are. I have not studied Indian law at all. Uh, but they do have a more rigid, uh, more stringent control over what their people do and say. But apparently this was, was too much. So not only did they overturn this action, they actually overturned the law that these people were arrested under. So they didn't just overturn the conviction of the women who were arrested. They made the law null and void. That's that's pretty powerful and progressive. Uh, heads up. Uh, kudos to you, India. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, because we're critical of other states whenever they fall outside of our definition of virtue. So, you know, like to give them some props when they do what seems to be the right thing. 
Yeah, and it, it may be, you know, again, it may be that they are a little less terrible than they were. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, um, I'm, I'm always – it's always a good thing when when large – entities be they governments or businesses or uh, non-governmental uh, organizations take steps toward giving freedom to the people under them so yay this is a win for freedom Woo-hoo! so having said that seth what do you have uh that what happened this week in history all right well this week in history uh april the 4th 1975 this little company was founded in Albuquerque, New Mexico, a partnership between Bill Gates and Paul Allen named Microsoft. I think I've heard of them. Yeah. So that is uh, 40, wow, 40 years ago this week in history. Um, still, I'm older than Microsoft. That that makes me feel old. Uh, if you look at it, it's not hard. Do a search for, you know, Microsoft employees, um, 1975, and, and you will find a really the 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 group of developers who worked at Microsoft back then would fit in at any Linux convention today they're they're long-haired neck-beard geeks uh um, right and it's so interesting cuz Microsoft um uh, you know certainly through the the uh 80s and even more so through the 90s got this almost IBM uh crew cut uh, black tie mentality they were the professionals the serious guys but they started as as long-haired hippie freaks and and bill gates fit right in there with them uh and and it's it's pretty amazing right they started with this goal of changing the world uh very rarely does a guy in a suit and tie say that his express goal in life is to change the world it's always the the outsiders uh right the, the people who don't quite fit in anywhere else want to make a world where they do fit in and then you know in in 25 years they became you know it was like when the baby boomers grew up uh and and they started as the the hippies and then they became the yuppies uh that's that's kind of the, the what happened to microsoft they went from hippies to yuppies yep I don't know that I had a point with that, but I was hoping for a better follow-up than yep. Well, no, that well, no, it was just, that's just interesting. You know, it it seems to be that at some point the counterculture becomes the culture and despises the very thing that they used to be. Um, I, I wish I could remember, but uh, I'm a I'm a student of. A student is the wrong word, but I'm really more of a fan of church history, and sometimes I am fanatical about it. But there was this denomination in England that started because the preacher was kicked out of his church because he wanted to preach outside. And then 50 years later, this denomination was kicking preachers out who preached outside. So, um, you know, it's like the counterculture becomes the culture, and then they despise anyone who seeks to counter them, uh, you know. I don't know if maybe that's just a comment on society, how much we all hate ourselves. I'm sure Freud would love to an- <laughs> psychoanalyze that, uh, that thought process. But yeah, it, it, you see it time and time again in history in whether it be, um, government or politics or Steve Jobs. Yeah. Right. Steve Jobs was a hippie who then became the guy who defined cool for an entire generation of hipsters. Right. It's 
It's weird, but it's also predictable. Speaking of weird and predictable, I looked at the title for your link of the week and thought, that sounds like, and then I clicked on it, and it is exactly what it sounds like. Nudicles. Nudicles Nudicles.com. I came across this website. I don't remember how long ago, but um, just uh, for people who don't know, I, I keep a list of websites that I run across. I, I throw them in a, like a potential Cess link. Uh, I have a Google Doc on that. And uh, I came across this one. I thought, this is just dumb enough for me. I would. Um, so over a half a million caring pet owners worldwide have selected Nudicles as a completely safe, practical, and inexpensive <laughs> option when <laughs> neutering their beloved pet. And then this is, I love this next paragraph. Nudicles allows pets to retain their natural look, self-esteem, and aids the pet's owners with the trauma associated with altering. And then their tagline, with Nudicles, it's like nothing ever changed. Well, I beg to differ. <laughs> I think at least one, if not two things, have changed pretty significantly for you. <laughs> your pet to need nudicles. So, and their upcoming feature includes a tracking and ID chip. As long as you're stuffing something in there, let's make it do something. So, nudicles ID. <laughs> You don't have to microchip and neuter your pet anymore. You can do them both in one step. Nudicles.com for all your pet castration needs. I it's just you know, you can tell this is something that the uh the 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 hippie freak vegan eating tofu loving city weirdos would would go gaga. Speaking uh, of Kim yeah. Kardashian is featured on their front page prominently. You just yes. described her quite nicely, I think. Uh, yes. So, um, yes, nudicles.com. I just, I, I don't fathom. I mean, okay, I can understand you have a cat. You don't want to have eight cats and then 700 cats. So you want to get that cat fixed. You have a male cat. You don't want it running off, you know, sowing its wild oats so okay i can understand the decision to um you know fix that cat i don't understand the decision of letting that cat of why does it matter if it walks around looking fixed or not that is just it's all about it's just dumb you've already done something pretty barbaric to it and now you're worried about aesthetics um look at uh, the about page Nudicles are available for canines, felines, equine, bulls, or any pet which is neutered. So, if I'm a bull and you make me a steer, I think the least of my worries is that I don't look like I did before. That's all I got to say about that. (laughs) What kind of farmer (laughs) is walking around... Looks out there and goes, you know, that boy just don't look right without something hanging down. Let's let's go get him nudicled. But then again, I mean, if you're going to buy a pair for your truck, I can understand you might as well <laughs> you might as well put them on your cow too. So uh, another thing I don't understand. But um, so I grew up 
as you did, Seth, in a rural area, a a you know Texas cattle uh, country, mostly dairy cattle where I grew up, but some beef cattle. Right. Um, and neutering is not the worst thing we do to these animals. No, no. Um, the, <laughs> I, I'm going to stop right there. Um, it, but to even consider this company makes them for bulls and for for horse horses. That amazes me because I don't think they would go through the research and development to create them unless somebody had asked first. So somebody turned a a uh, a stallion into a gelding and then decided it didn't look right and went to this company and asked them to make a new product line. I <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to process that. My brain is stuck. There's a there's a a runaway zombie process taking up resources. I, I can't process that. No, what happened was some analytical person was mining everybody's uh, search resorts on Google and says, <laughs> how can I make my cow look normal after castration? And then they like, I know. Let's, oh, look, and there's a company that does this for dogs and cats. Let's get them to make... A, a product so i mean you know first off if you're castrating you first, a cow you've got bigger issues well castrating a bull so <laughs> sorry cow is a cow is the type not the sex yes. for me that's just um this is how i think about it so you know you have your male cows and female cows like you have male dogs and female dogs that's just that's how so my brain let me lay a little country on you all right a bull becomes a steer a, With, a yeah. stallion becomes a gelding a boar becomes a bara a uh, dog becomes way. a dog. Um, the, these are the things you do when you snip snip. Um, they, they, the names change. Um, you may not have known that. little trivia for you. Yeah, I did not know the the, uh, the boar one. So. Yeah, Bera, B-E-R-A. Cool. Maybe A-H. I've, I've never seen it read. I've only seen it spelled. B-E-R-A. Google, help me out. Um uh no did i did my my high school ag teacher make that up is that not really the thing that's what we always called it or maybe i'm just spelling it wrong anyway barrow castrate b-a-r-r-o-w okay so that just country guy called it barra and i didn't know it's barrow okay okay yeah so uh you can thank the (laughs) illinois public education system for uh google looking that up I did that. I, I w- the town I came from, the cool thing to do was be in the future farmers of America. I had no interest in being a farmer, well, not at no, all. By cool, you meant only. So that's <laughs> exactly. a, it was football pretty, and FFA, and generally you had to do both. Yeah, this uh, is free so, internet. People don't judge us. <laughs> so I wanted the cool corduroy jacket. Yes, I said corduroy. It's a blue corduroy jacket with a big yellow emblem on it, and I wanted it. Um, so I joined the future farmers of America, the FFA and went out and, and took, uh, agricultural sciences as one of my classes. And, and one of our field trips was we, we took boars and made them barrows one day. Um, and I have to say it was one of the worst experiences of my life. Um, there is no sanitary, clean, easy way to do that you grab the the guy's 
legs, you spread them apart, and you snip. And that's that's just all there is to it. Um, but the reason you do that is it makes them bigger. It makes them uh, produce more meat. There's lots of there's uh, uh, agriculturally valid reasons to do it. I'm just glad nobody has ever decided to do that to me. I'm big enough, I guess. So I, I don't know why I started down that line, but just just because I know I've done things, things I'm not proud of. I've put my arm inside parts of a cow that I wish the arm hadn't been inside. I've I've turned virile healthy male boars into two eunuchs. <laughs> these are these are the nightmares I have at night sometimes. This may be the strangest show we've ever done. Oh, <laughs> uh, but not at any point did I ever think Hey, we should put something prosthetic back in there. Maybe I'll start a company called I missed the boat. I could have started the company and made tens of dollars doing this. I can't imagine it's a big business. Oh my gosh. I they're big enough for a website and a photo of Kim Kardashian on it. <laughs> the, I'm straight there's so many one-liners running through my brain right now about websites with pictures of Kim Kardashian on them. Just so many that I'm having to filter them all out. So I'll just say this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us. Elementopi.com. Uh, click on the Contact Us button at the top of the page. If you want to send an email uh, to to all of us, edl at elementopi.com. Or if you'd like to have your voice right alongside ours, 559-IAM-OPI. Uh, on, that's our Google voice number. Leave us a voicemail, and we'll put you on the show. Uh, I'm sorry this was such a weird show, but, you know, weird shows can be fun too um i just i don't know i'm still still one-liners about kim kardashian okay here's here's my question okay more more people in america have been married to kim kardashian than have died of ebola i believe that's still true but have more people in the world died of ebola or there or are there more websites that have kim kardashian's photo on it um well i'm gonna go with the latter on that one i'm sure there are several billion pages Uh, i bet if you did a google search for kim kardashian photo you would get more than three hits well no i mean worldwide so (laughs) worldwide have more people died of ebola or are there you know if you take the total of ebola deaths worldwide versus the total like throughout all of history no just this most recent outbreak so you know you're looking. Oh well, definitely Kardashian wins that one. You really? But if you if you tally up throughout history, I don't know. She may be competitive. Ebola may be competitive with Kim Kardashian at that point. I'm sorry if I offended anyone with that. <laughs> uh, a little bit. You're a little bit sorry. I'm a little bit sorry. So. So if you want to uh, send Seth some feedback, elementopi.com, click the contact us button. That's the way you do it. Uh, what a weird way to end the show, uh, but that's where we're going to stop it right now. Thanks for being a listener. Uh, and if after this you're never a listener again, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I don't blame you. Frankly, uh, it was, it's been nice knowing you. Sorry, <laughs> all my fault. Actually, it's not my fault. I'm going to blame this on whoever found the nudicles.com. It's all their fault. Uh, good night, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next week because that ends this episode of the